done that wonderful work of grace in the life of uh, Sam and Hope. I'm going to ask you to come up the front. Let's hear the word of God as it is recorded for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 12. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he hath given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are received, receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that can come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, even the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look unto these things, into these things. And we thank God for his precious word. Could we spend a moment in prayer, please? Father, we do thank you very greatly tonight, today for this precious word that you've given to us. It's been recorded, Lord, so that we can hear it. It's been recorded so that you can open our minds to understand it. And, Lord, it's been given for our instruction in righteousness. And so we want our hearts to be touched by what it means. And, Lord, we ask, too, that you will touch our will so that we will choose deliberately to do what your word is instructing us to do. And we thank you, Father, that we can ask you to do those things here today. We also ask, Lord, that you'll bless Chris as he teaches us the things that you have shown him, that you've given to him, and that he has, will faithfully preach to us. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word, because it's truth. And the truth will open our minds, touch our heart, touch our wills, 
and set us free. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dorothy, for reading that word and as well as leading us in prayer. This morning, friends, we want to look at uh, the topic today, which is the goal of faith. The goal of faith. Uh, we have just concluded our footy season. And uh, any Sydney Swan supporters, I know Pete Sorensen is one of them. He wore the scarf last uh, Sunday evening to, to let us know that he was rejoicing. The footy season has concluded, and what a thing it is, isn't it? Friday nights, there's no footy anymore. Saturday, there's no footy. But I want to tell you something. The cricket is on, by the way. And tonight is the 2020, and Sri Lanka is in it, the finals. <laughs> goals. We all have goals in life, isn't it? Think about football. Footballers focus on the goal all the time. Right? And they're focused to, to kick those goals and to make their, take a mark and go for the goals. In cricket, we don't have a goal post as such. We have the bat and ball and you can do wonderful things with that, uh, with that cricket bat when it's in your hand. You get the right ball, off you go. Those of you who followed cricket, you would have seen how Chris Gale and, um, I think the other guy, Pollard, whacked like five or six sixes in the match. Unbelievable. Their goal is to hit as much runs as they can so they can win the match. All of us have goals in our own lives. Uh, whatever those goals may be, maybe to study well and get a job, a career, uh, a goal to get married. We have some couples in our congregation who are looking forward uh, to their marriage soon. Hayden and Mary coming up uh, very soon meeting with these guys for premarital counseling every week. Uh, goals in life. Whether you're young or old, perhaps you've had, you have goals, or some of your goals have already been achieved. But what about the Christian gospel? When we talk about the gospel of Christ, there is also the goal that is there for us, which is the salvation of our souls. That God has called us. He has called us to a living hope in Jesus. And he is bringing us to a final completion of the work that he has started in our lives. There is a goal in the gospel. And that is the salvation of our souls. And that's a wonderful thought for us to be reminded that the Christian gospel is one that has an incredible goal. That God has in mind for each of his precious children. And that is to confirm the good work that Christ has begun in our lives. Now a quick recap from last week where we focus our thoughts on 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice and so forth. And we noticed last week um, a few points, the great rejoicing. We looked at the genuine faith. We looked at the glorious future. As believers in Christ, we can rejoice because God has called us to himself and has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this living hope includes an imperishable inheritance that though we have it in part already, we'll one day enjoy to the fullest. And that inheritance is kept for us in heaven. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It is unfading. Wonderful that God has kept for his people. 
Now in this life, friends, we will face trials. These trials will test our faith. And through that process, God refines us to see how genuine our faith is. I was speaking to someone this past week. And the person said to us, how much this particular person has gone through hurts in life. Now, you know that, and I know that, that when we live our lives here on earth, from time to time, we do feel the pain of others. At times, we get hurt through the process in our lives. Sometimes the trials are too much to bear. But whatever it may be, we have been refined so that we are strengthened in the faith, so that there is the genuineness of our faith. And God confirms that faith with the salvation of our souls. So the Bible does not leave Jesus on the cross after his crucifixion or in the tomb after his burial. It teaches his consequent glorification through four steps. As we noted, the resurrection, the ascension, the intercession, and the return of Jesus. So as God purifies our faith over our lifetime, our faith will become all the more praiseworthy. And this is another aspect that we see uh, Peter saying three things that God will give to us, and that is the praise and glory and honor. Quite remarkable, really. Normally, we would ascribe these things to the Lord himself. The Bible tells us that he will give to us praise, glory, and honor given by the Lord to those whose faith is genuine. And this morning, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 8, verses 8 to 12, which is our text, and I don't plan to read that passage again for us this morning. It has been already read, so we're going to focus our thoughts this morning on verses 8, uh, sorry, 8 right through to 12. Now, Peter is deeply moved. He's moved by his reader's love for Christ, despite never seeing him. We see that in the passage before us. How is it possible, you might ask, how can we love someone that you've never met? How can you love someone that you've never actually seen? How can you love someone that you've not had any connections with? Notice the passage here before us this morning. These readers had never met Jesus, but they love him. Notice the text. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. They love him. Recall the words of Jesus to Thomas after the resurrection uh, when Jesus said, told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. They loved the Lord, friends, on the basis of the message that they had heard from the apostles. Though you have not seen him, you love him and you believe in him. Think about that. We have never seen the Lord, have we? We have not. But Peter has seen Jesus. In the context here, Peter has seen the Lord. He was with the Lord. He was a disciple of Jesus. In fact, uh, we read in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, when it speaks about uh, to the elders, to the elders among you, appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who has already, as uh, one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. His mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed her of the fever. 
He witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. He met the risen Jesus Christ face to face. He interacted with the risen Jesus. Peter had seen the Lord and he loved the Lord. And remember after the denial of Jesus Christ, uh, restored Peter gently and lovingly. Remember when, when Peter denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him and Peter began to weep. And the Lord restored him. Do you love me? Yes. So Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious Joy and Peter is commending them for their faith. They've never seen the Lord, but they love him. My question to you this morning is, friends, do you love the Lord? You know, everything else aside, a very personal question, do you really love the Lord? When is the last time that you said to the Lord, Lord, I, I love you for who you are. I haven't seen you, but I believe you. I believe you because of the testimony of Scripture. I love you because of everything that you have done. I love you because you are my Savior. You see, it changes things, doesn't it? From a very cold heart to one of a loving relationship. To one from legalism to one that says, Lord, I will serve you because I love you. From one that is of a cold-natured heart towards the things of God to one that is warm because you say, I love you, Lord, for who you are. No matter, I can't understand everything in the scriptures, perhaps. I can understand everything that goes on in this world, the trials and the testings that come my way, but I love you. I love you. In pastoral ministry, I've seen people come and go. Often you wonder where they are in terms of their faith, their relationship with Jesus. Often when there are issues in faith matters, I ask the question, do you love the Lord? Because once we get that right, other things will start to, uh, to fall into place, doesn't it? Start to fall into place. A love for the Lord. And Peter is commending them for their love. We believe in the testimony of Scripture. We believe in the evidence, the eyewitness accounts recorded for us in the Bible about Jesus. Uh, one guy, Edmund Clowney, in his book uh, it's, uh, on one Peter says this, Through the witness of Peter and the other apostles, we learn about what Jesus said and did. They bear witness through the Holy Spirit, and by the witness of the Spirit, we are brought to know and love the living Savior. It is by the witness of the Holy Spirit we are brought into love this living Savior. That is how, my dear friends, we are brought into this faith. Peter says you believe in him and are filled with joy. And Peter qualifies this, uh, this word joy with uh, two adjectives here. It says, one, it is inexpressible. And secondly, it is glorious. Uh, this word inexpressible is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Nowhere else. Uh, it is an inexpressible joy. It is a joy that is higher than speech. It is a joy that cannot be explained. It is a joy that is so deep. It is a joy that is filled 
of glory in that sense. It is a joy that the Christian experiences. It is real. It is not superficial. It cannot be manufactured. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is an inexpressible joy. You are filled with an inexpressible joy. What's the connection? The connection is this, friends. We have a living hope in Jesus. He's called us into salvation. He's doing a great work in our lives. He's refining our faiths. He has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there is an inexpressible and a glorious joy. You have that joy this morning. Is it an inexpressible joy that comes from within you? you know, the, uh, the psalmist says this, I like this text here, Psalm 30 and verse 5, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Many a times we may have wept. Might be for many nights, months, maybe years. Perhaps a child has not come to faith in Christ and you're going through that grief. Maybe you're living with a non-Christian spouse and you're, you're tearing all the time. Maybe there are issues that confront you in the workplace, in your own home. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a time of loneliness. Maybe you lost your loved one. And there's times of grief and sorrow and sadness. And there's weeping. But weeping tarries for the night. But joy comes with the morning. This is the kind of inexpressible joy that the Bible speaks of. A joy in the midst of those trials. An inexpressible joy that comes with the fruit of the Spirit. That God is able to give us the joy that comes from deep within the soul. No matter what happens. The psalmist says this, isn't it? In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right hand are pleasures forevermore. How true, my dear friends. And Peter says, you believe and you love him. And there is an inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, Christianity is about a relationship. A relationship with the Lord. And a relationship with his people. And the most important thing here is not about the trials they face, but rather whom they love and are committed to. The salvation here of our souls is what God is working towards. Think about the, the word, uh, about the soul for a moment. What makes mankind different? Or put it simply, what does it mean to be human? Uh, this question, I think, has incredible implications, and I don't plan to deal with all of those topics this morning. It has incredible implications in the way one views life, not only from a theological perspective, but also from a psychological and sociological perspective. The answer to this question, what does it mean to be human, will reveal the way we live our lives, it will reveal government policies, it will reveal the way in which the world operates, it will reveal our view of eternity. So, what's the difference here? The Lord God formed Genesis 2.7, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living, living soul. So the body without the soul remains lifeless. 
Genesis tells us that God breathes the breath of life into the body and then man becomes a living soul. And mankind is made in the image of God as distinct from the animal kingdom. There is value, there is dignity in human life. And so when we speak about the soul, we see that the soul is as much a creation as is the body. That we are made up of body and soul is indicated in the creation account. The soul as a created entity is mortal. But it survives the grave only because it is sustained and preserved by the power of God. And the soul of man can live without the body. The body cannot live without the soul. Why do I say this? Listen to what Jesus says. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in where? In hell. So what happens to a person when he or she dies? Good question. Where does his or her spirit and body go until the second coming? The view is that at death, the soul immediately goes to one of two places. Either heaven or hell. The Bible speaks of both. There is a continuity of personal existence after death. There is no interruption of life at the end of this life, but we continue to be alive in our personal souls upon death. And Jesus said, for example, to the thief on the cross, I say to you today that you will be with me in paradise. Think, for example, about the image of the rich man and Lazarus in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 16, and I want to read that entire passage, but... We know the situation there. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where there is torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. It is hell. What does Abraham say? Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things while Lazarus received bad things. From now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us, he answered. Then I beg you, Father, said, uh, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. See, it indicates, friends, that there is a continuity of life. There is a continuity of consciousness. Two destinies, heaven and hell, and the position between the time we die and the time when Jesus returned to consummate the kingdom is what we call the intermediate state. That is, we believe there will be a time when Christ returns that God reunites our soul and our body and that we will have a glorified body just as Christ came out of the tomb as the firstborn from the dead. Wonderful. How is God going to do that? How is He going to raise this body that we have cremated perhaps or put to the ground? 
What is going to happen? The soul that God is going to reunite that with this body and give us a new and a glorified body. Wow. That's what he's going to do. As Sproul says this, for the Christian redemption is of the body, not from the body. The Christian doctrine of substantial dichotomy is not dualistic. Man is not a dualism, but a duality. That is, we have a real body, material substance, and a real soul, immaterial substance. Real body and a real soul. And so when Peter says that you're receiving the goal, he is, receive, he is talking about both body and soul. This is the future hope of glory. This indeed gives us an inexpressible joy concerning this salvation. We have it in our text. Peter says... This salvation has been spoken of by the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come. In your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and forwards. So, friends, this salvation plan was not invented by Peter. It was not invented by the church. It was not invented by the apostles. Notice the text tells us that this salvation, who spoke of it? Who did it? The prophet spoke of it. Right? This is God's exciting plan of redemption. This is not invented by Peter. God, in, God put into the mouths of the prophets the future plan of redemption. And the prophets, they prophesied of the grace to come. They searched, they investigated, and they were keen to find out what was going on. They received God's revelation of the coming Messiah. Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of these prophets. Who did they speak of? Of Jesus. Give you Isaiah, for example. Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be celebrating Christmas soon, wouldn't we? Two months' time. There you go. You done. Get ready with your Christmas shopping. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9. The son is going to be born. Government is going to be on his shoulders. Who is that son? Jesus. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Isaiah did, had no clue what was going to take place. But the Spirit of Christ made it known. And notice that the text tells us the Spirit of Christ in them pointed to the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And I paused there when I was preparing this text and I did a bit of work here on this passage because I think what is clear here is this. What we see here is the pre-existent Christ. The Spirit of Christ... Peter says that, not the Holy Spirit here, that the Spirit of Christ, yes, in the Spirit, is doing this work, that is Christ himself made these predictions to the prophets before it actually took place, of his coming and of his sufferings, and of his resurrection. Do you see that? This is the plan of redemption. We sang our first hymn this morning, God has spoken by his prophets. What a wonderful plan. What a wonderful plan. The plan of redemption has been given. Wow, how amazing. The Old Testament prophecies pointing to what was to come. And when Jesus came to earth on that first Christmas, God's plan was further being revealed. And when Christ the Savior was born, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, what was it? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests and when the 
angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go. Let us go and see this thing. The gospel has come. And the angels are there. You see, this is the gospel that Paul says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. And then in verses 4 and 5, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This salvation is now being made known. And we who believe in him are receiving the goal of that salvation. What does that mean, friends, to us? Hey, three aspects here this morning. See, one is, here's a question for you. The question for you is, will you enter Jesus' kingdom or be condemned to hell? When Jesus returns, will you be ready to meet him? Will you be a citizen of his kingdom? For Jesus said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? There's also a challenge in this passage, and that is the outreach. This is the goal of faith, my dear friends, that the salvation has been revealed. And now even angels, look at the text here. This is incredible what we see here in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 12. I think you can preach an entire message within 12b. Even angels long to look into these things. Angels, they are looking into this. Think about it. Angels, they announced his birth. They were there in his time of testing. They were there at his resurrection. The angels are there at his ascension. And in Luke chapter 15, the passage that uh, we read, that Barry read for us this morning, we see this uh, about this woman. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And then... And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. In the same way, in verse 10, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of whom? Angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, here's the message, friends. There's an outreach message here as well. Do we have a heart for the lost? There is rejoicing in heaven by the angels when one Sinner repents. You see, there is a lost world. The Christian salvation goal is confirmed in Christ, as we will see. But there are thousands of souls out there who don't know Jesus. I often battle with it myself. I struggle with it. I pray. Sometimes I just raise my hands up in the air and say, Lord, I just don't know what else more to do. <laughs> Help me to share Christ with the lost world. Help me to do that. That's my prayer regularly. And I pray that God will give you that passion. This is not some kind of legalism here. I don't want to put any guilt trip on anyone here this morning. That's not the purpose. You see, pray that God will help us to have a desire to share 
that gospel with those who are lost. We have our non-Christian friends. We meet with them, share, pray for the lost in our own families. And Peter says this, for you are receiving, this is the other thing I want to share with you, the assurance of salvation. You see, there is one thing that all human beings share in common, and that is death. We don't want to talk about it, regardless of race, regardless of culture or status, we will all die. But see this, what the text says, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, this morning, there is anyone here who is not sure whether he is going to heaven or she is going to heaven. I want to say to you this morning on the basis of God's word, if you believe in Christ, then you have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be with Christ in heaven. So don't look at yourself and put yourself down by saying, I am not good enough for Jesus. Yes, you are not good enough. That is for certain. But Christ is our good shepherd. He has done it all. He has paid the price. He has suffered on the cross. And our salvation is secure in Jesus. And that is what Peter is saying. The goal of our salvation, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One day, you will see the whole thing come into place. One day, God will bring it to completion. One day, He will give us a new and a glorious body. And one day, we will see Jesus Christ face to face. The goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. What a blessing. What a blessing. This is the goal of faith. This is salvation. For salvation belongs to our God. Praise be unto him. Salvation belongs to our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that salvation belongs to you. That you are Lord bringing to completion that work. One day it will all be made known. I pray this morning that you would continue to fill us with an inexpressible and a glorious joy that comes from within our souls to the power of the Holy Spirit that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Rejoice in the salvation that is ours for salvation belongs to our God. Amen. Friends, we're going